How are you seeing AI play out in the legal space? Yeah, it's so, so super interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, as I've just sort of alluded to, technology in law has always been a bit of a... um, it's had a it's had a tenuous relationship and I think where the stress actually becomes is that we know as business owners technology makes you more efficient um, and actually can streamline a lot of your processes but if your business model of a law firm is about time do you necessarily want to be more efficient do you want to streamline your processes because then you can't bill as much time so so I think what this is doing and particularly with you know now gen gen AI and what that's actually doing and how efficient it can do and and how it can make your process is so much more streamlined. A lot of law firms now are really struggling with what that means for them because if it makes them more efficient, well then what does that mean in terms of their pricing model? Welcome to episode six of the Chief Metachicks podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Scriven. I'm the founder of Chief Metachicks, a business I launched in late 2022 after a long career as an executive in business, marketing and branding, and most recently as the CEO of Zenith Media. Chief Metachicks is a community and a movement designed to level the playing field for women in business, leadership and technology. Our mission is to unlock and unleash the power of women by upskilling them in Web3 and AI technologies through education and training and providing them with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive in the digital age. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a seasoned business owner, Chief Metachicks offers a wealth of resources and inspiration to help you develop and scale your business initiatives and leadership skills. And this podcast aims to bring inspiration and insight to our listeners as we delve into the stories and journeys of female founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders. We will share their highs and lows, trials and tribulations, key learnings, and pivotal moments. To get us underway, today I'm going to be interviewing Karen Finch. Karen is the founder and CEO of Legally Yours, Australia's leading online legal marketplace. Karen launched Legally Yours in 2014 to bridge the gap between affordable legal services and trustworthy, experienced fixed-fee lawyers. Karen essentially launched the fixed-fee revolution. Legally Yours is a community for like-minded, progressive legal professionals who connect and learn from each other. And Karen is a bundle of energy and professionalism, and she dedicates her time and energy to supporting women in law and female founders in legal tech. This interview covers a number of important topics, including the importance of trust in law, transforming traditional business structures and models to drive innovation, the importance of legal protection and risk mitigation for founders and startups, and the impact of generative AI on the legal profession. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Karen Finch, founder and CEO of Legally Yours. Hello and welcome to the Chief Metachicks podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Karen Finch, CEO and founder of Legally Yours. Welcome, Karen. Ah, Thanks so much, Nikki. I'm very excited to be on the pod. Awesome. So let's kick off. We'd love to get to know a little bit more about you and your career journey and you know what you were doing beforehand and, and how you came about the idea of launching Legally Yours. Can you give us the whistletop tour? I sure can. So um, you have to go back a little bit for the story of um, of what I was doing um, back to when I was a teenager. So originally um, thought I was going to be a pop star, Nikki. I was in a <laughs> I was in a all singing, all dancing group way before the Spice Girls. So I'd like to say I was quite progressive even way back then, and actually thought that you know I was going to have this amazing singing career, and and that's what I wanted to do. So that was you know kind of the goal. Uh, and then when I was about sixteen years old, my father is um, has always been an entrepreneur, always had lots of businesses on the go, um, never could really quite define what my dad's career was to anyone else when I was growing up, um, but watched him sort of, you know, have all these incredible businesses. But unfortunately, when I was 16, one of those did get embroiled in a commercial litigation matter with a big corporate here in Australia. And I think what that did was it spun my parents off on a seven-year commercial litigation um, battle um, with this wow. corporate. But but what I got to have as a first-hand witness was that it was never about the other side. It was actually the relationship that they had with their so-called trusted advisors was just shocking. So they weren't informed along the way. They weren't told about different options. They were never communicated properly. I still remember my poor mum 
never wanting to go to the letterbox because there would just be invoice after invoice after invoice. And what actually ended up happening was that they ended up getting into the, the first day of the court hearing. And I still remember my parents looking at each other and my dad saying, we can't afford not to go in. Everything is on the line. We've invested so much money God. and so much of our time. And I think, you know, when I talk about that feeling, a lot of people know or know of someone that's experienced that where you feel like you're trapped in your litigation matter. And so what what that kind of did was rather than me sitting there thinking, gosh, all lawyers are horrible and this is just the worst thing ever, I thought, no, I'm going to become a lawyer and I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to make sure no other person ever experiences this kind of, um, you know, situation ever again. So it really put a fire in my belly to become a lawyer. So went off, got, you know, got the marks, got into law school um, and loved, loved the law, you know, really loved the fact that, you know, through the knowledge um, and the advocacy, I could really help people and, and, you know, become that kind of real trusted legal advisor. But unfortunately, the reality of the business of law um, hit me in the face when I um, started practicing. So my first day as a qualified solicitor, I was sitting there with um, the, the lawyer, the partner that I was um, underneath, and her explaining to me in my Alan, best Ali McBeal suit, Nikki, <laughs> it was the stripes, it was the stockings. I thought I just oh, I looked it. the part. Um, and her sitting there and explaining to me that every time, you know, you think about your client for one minute, you build them for six, you get five-minute credits, and this is how you're going to be a really successful lawyer. Awesome. And I, I, I think, I think, well, I actually think my shoulder pad started to droop <laughs> off my shoulders as she was explaining this to me because I just remember thinking and I was doing family law so I'm I'm meeting these incredible people in these you know really difficult stressful volatile situations in their life and I'm being told that you know you've got to build trust you've got to have these great relationships but basically you're bill 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 billing them and I used to remember you know I, I did try it for a few years and I remember thinking when I you know would first meet these clients and we'd have such great rapport and they'd be like thank you and trust and we were going forward and I knew they would end up hating me by the time that first second third invoice came through that they weren't expecting the other thing was they would stop talking to me. So clients would start self-selecting what information they shared yeah. because they cottoned on very quickly that they were getting, you know, um, invoiced on those, you know, little minute increments. And you can't be a trusted advisor if you're not with all the information, if there's no trust there between you and your client. Mm. So I ended up leaving the law and I remember that day that I ended up quitting and thinking to myself, I can't be a lawyer. Like I, I just can't do this. And if this is what it means, then I'm just not built for it. And and I actually then just felt like a complete and utter failure and thought, what am I going to do? Because I thought that I would end up dying in a courtroom at 90, like they would cart me out. <laughs> Corey. So, so that kind of, um, I ended up sort of just getting recruited by the recruiter, um, ended up working for an international recruitment company, which looking back now on kind of where I've built my career was absolutely the best experience. I was recruiting IT and back in the early 2000s, technology people were hilarious. So I would sit there and I would say to them, now just pretend like as though I don't know anything about technology and explain to me what you do and then I'd be just writing copious amounts <laughs> down going, oh, my God. And these are hardcore, you know, infrastructure software techies. Oh, God. Um, so did that for a bit but loved it um, and was recruiting them into financial services, you know, banks, those sorts of things, and then ended up going overseas with that company um, to the UK and doing sort of internal legal in-house recruitment, which was great. Came back to Melbourne, ended up having a family. But but the thing about legal, it had never left me. Like it had never left me. I felt like as though I still loved it. I loved the profession. I loved what it could be and I felt like I wasn't done with it yeah. yet. So then Legally Yours came about and Legally Yours really is the culmination of those two experiences. The first with my dad. So it's my opportunity. I've built a marketplace where we connect clients to fixed fee lawyers who do not time record, they do not have billable hours, they tell you up front what the service is going to be and what the output will be and what it will cost. So all of that, you know, um, volatility in terms of invoicing and confusion and all that kind of stuff is wiped out completely. They get to have great trusted legal advisors. So I feel like I'm righting the wrong 
every time I connect a client through the Legal Eagles Marketplace, which is incredible. And those lawyers provide business and personal legal needs. And then on the back end, we've created in Legal Eagles a community to help lawyers transform their business model and essentially move away from this traditional toxic billable hourly unit kind of system that we all seem to be wedded to in the law and really be able to provide these great, transparent, certain upfront pricing, use technology, be innovative, and we call that the LY Hub. So I get to do those both things now in Legally Yours, which is just a pure joy and delight. Amazing. And so how much has the business sort of evolved from what you thought the first idea of Legally Yours was going to be to what it is now? Because we all know on a founder's journey, you have this great idea and all this passion and <laughs> and then, you know, along the way, your business kind of pivots and, and you've got to be agile and you go where the market takes you. How much has your business evolved? Yeah, well, we started off, I was a manual legal matchmaker, so everything was manual. And, you know, I I still say to this day, even with all the incredible technology, understanding that manual, like you actually doing it as the founder to understand where the kinks are, what works, what doesn't work, what's confusing, so, so incredibly important when you're building, you know, those early years of your model and and really trying to get it right. So I was a manual matchmaker. So I would go out to um, all of these networking and startup events and founder events and, you know, Relationships Australia. And I'd be saying, who needs legal services? And why don't you like lawyers? Why don't you like lawyers? And then I was listening to the conversations. So lots and lots of listening around, you know, everyone. And to this day, unfortunately, still everyone has the story. My friend went to a lawyer and then $5,000 later, they got nothing and you know lawyers are too expensive and you never know what you're going to get and gathering all of those stories and all of um, those issues and then being able to feed that back into the legal community and say if you just change your model which back in those early days I didn't realize how wedded lawyers were to that well, it's identity make money, right? <laughs> well that's right but it wasn't always the case Nikki so This is the other thing that I did in the early days was I thought, okay, so I know the clients really love this and I know that, you know, more clients would actually connect with lawyers if they could have this transparent certain pricing model. So when I fed that back in and I could see lawyers were really struggling with, well, then how would we invoice? How would we price? What I realized early days on was that they didn't realize their identity beyond time billable base units. So I thought, well, when did this come in board? I need to find out the history of this. So I then went back into the legal industry and started speaking to lawyers who'd been around for, you know, 40, 50 years, 30 years, you know, plus. And I said to them, when did this all happen? Yeah. Talk to me about the introduction, the history of the billable hour. And so the wonderful thing was the stories that they shared was that, you know, the billable unit, the billable hour and this, this pricing model in legal only really came about in the 1980s here in Australia. So prior to then, it used to be you would go in, you would see your lawyer, they would listen, they would understand your requirements, and then they would price it, right? Okay, that's going to cost X, X value, right? And then what happened was, I think it was accountants that kind of started saying to lawyers, hey, listen, you need to really start keeping track of your time if you want to understand how to resource or maybe, in, you know, increase your headcount um, and understand where your efficiencies are. And I think what then happened, lawyers started thinking, well, oh, why don't we just price our client? Why don't we make our clients pay for that? And that's yeah, how it happened. So my whole, my whole thing was, is that if it used to be that way, we can go back that way. We absolutely can go back that way. And I think the other really thing that that was important and still remains so is that, you know, the legal industry is only dealing with a very small fragment of of the people that have legal needs, you know, only around about that 30%. So there's a large proportion of people with legal needs who aren't even accessing them for the legal industry for the for the problems that they have. And a lot of it is to do with the number one reason is around that price. It's around the fear and it's around the interaction. So wherever possible, we can kind of start tapping into that, you know, that market that's not engaging. It's just incredible. And lawyers need to understand that it's sitting there and that in order for them to close that justice loop, they need to be transforming their business model. Yeah, right. And so how- How long has Legally Yours been in existence for now? 
So we started, um, we launched officially 2014. Uh, we didn't go digital, fully digital until about 2018. We went fully online. Um, and that's sort of when you're now starting to begin to see kind of the products that, you know, and the, and the way that we are today. So first of all, the online legal marketplace, we, we built that. And then in 2020, sort of through COVID, we actually launched um, our online member community portal, the LY Hub. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the journey of legally yours okay today and um how many members are you at and how many sort of law firms are you um a part of your community yeah, so we've got about 150 in terms of the community itself, but we've got a must, much bigger, broader reach in terms of, um, you know, the lawyers that are listening to us. So so I guess, you know, on socials and in our kind of subscribers and those sorts of things, we, we are very much, I guess our sweet spot in law is small law. Um, and by that, I mean sole practitioners up to about a 25-person firm is our real sweet spot in terms of the lawyers that we have in our community and the ones that we work with on our marketplace. Um, they make up 82% of the legal industry. And I think a lot of, I I think even the legal industry doesn't fully appreciate small law is not very small in terms of size. It's actually huge. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, And and the thing, thing I love about small law is that, they are real-time innovators. They are delivering legal services on the ground to the people that need it most. They are there designing these incredible client-centric, innovative, progressive firms filled with technology. And they're the first movers in terms of this, what we call a second-generation innovation firm, which is what Richard Susskind calls, you know, firms that have gone through this complete transformation of business models. So they don't time record, you know, they don't keep track of units. It's all about, you know, output, value and service um, to their clients. So, um, yeah, there's such an incredible um, community to work with and, you know, they are really leading this charge in terms of accessing that 70% 70 of people who have legal needs and and who aren't going going forward. Amazing. And we've done a partnership with Legally Yours, so Chief Medichicks and Legally Yours are partners and it's a really important thing, um, we believe, for, for founders to actually have access to transparent and appropriate legal services, particularly when they're setting up your businesses. Talk to me about how you work with founders um, and what some of the key things that they should be thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, first and foremost, we know that founders, you know, legal is often probably one of the last things that they tend to look at. And I completely understand why. You know, when I speak to a lot of startup founders, you know, they'll often say, I'm too too busy building the product or I'm building the platform. And the thought of actually interacting with legal can sometimes feel scary. It's all too much. I don't want to invest in that. But unfortunately, what we see in that first particularly 12 months um, when you're starting up your business, so many things legally you are you are at risk of that if you don't have that rough, right trusted legal advisor, unfortunately, sometimes it can be, you know, the difference between survival and, and going under. Yeah. It really can. So what we do is we, and I've been working with the startup community um, for many years now, and, and particularly I, I've got obviously that incredible soft spot for female founders and seeing them be empowered, which is why I love Chief Chief Medichick. Oh, you're so one of our leaders, yay. <laughs> absolutely, because absolutely love and adore it. And I think there's so much we can be doing. But it's it's about saying to them, it doesn't have to be, uh, um, it can actually be a really, really great trust field relationship with these lawyers. You can actually go to them and because all of our lawyers, we vet them so stringently, not only on their pricing model, because that is our number one guarantee to our clients that it's going to be fixed and upfront and transparent. But we also um, really make sure they've got great client facing skills, you know, that they're great communicators, that they respond, that you're not going to reach out to them and you're not going to hear from them for a week. You know, they understand their clients' times is precious and they're going to really respond to that and help you, you know, grow and build and scale your business. So really kind of getting them through to that right sort of trusted legal advisor, but also one, I mean, I used to hear some nightmare stories, Nikki, of um, founders that would come to us and say, oh, I've got a lawyer. Um, I've been in business for four months now and they've told me I needed 33 legal documents. And I'm like, 33 legal documents, like what? Like, and oh, employment agreements and this and this. And I'd be saying, well, are you employing anyone? Oh, no, no, no. But they said we needed that. No. So so what we do is we've handpicked lawyers, particularly with our startup founders, 
who actually understand it's a long-term investment in those startup, yeah. um, those startups. So what they'll do is they'll come in, they'll get an understanding of what you've built and, and, and the stage, most importantly, that you're at, and they'll say, okay, so here is maybe three documents that you probably need to be start looking at. Don't worry about the others. The others, you know, as we go along, we will progress. And some of these lawyer members that work with our startups have incredible offerings, like they'll do a subscription where they might have them as their in-house kind of lawyer that they can call a couple of times a month and get a document every three months like these lawyers are so fantastic with how they've actually purpose-built and designed their services for startup founders um, but look it's really really important that you can have that person on the end of the line that can help you legally and and most importantly sleep at night knowing that your startup that you are investing all your love and energy and I get it as a startup founder myself you just want to make sure that it's protected mm. um, that you know you're protected as well personally when you're doing that um, and that you've got your ducks in a row legally because as I said I see so many that you know they get that first complaint or that first supplier you know supply that kind of they didn't have the agreement or their co-founder they didn't put anything in place and yep. that fell apart in that 12 months and then unfortunately the the startup doesn't succeed so we want to make sure you know that's what a good lawyer should do is that you know your startup can be as successful and you know risk free as possible yeah um that's music to my ears because actually my biggest investment was in my legal contracts and um what i was very pleased i mean i had a great relationship um from my previous um employer with a, a really good legal firm and in particular someone that i really trusted so i reached out to her straight away and said this is what i'm doing you know i, I want to make sure i've got my brand protected i want the ip you know i need partnership contracts i need leader contracts i need privacy and website terms and all of those things and um, she packaged that up for me and and i have to say um it was such an incredible experience like yes it was a significant upfront cost but i have so much confidence that everything's watertight and and done properly and then i was really pleased to hear that they're a member of legally yeah. yours as well so big <laughs> shout out to heidi at anisimov legal um fabulous firm and they're just incredible and you know what i hear there as well nikki is the fact that it actually makes you really professional as a as a business to work with as well and i think sometimes a lot of startup founders or business owners don't actually understand that you know you having all those documents so even with you when you're going out and you're you know you're gathering these inc incredible leaders um you've got everything there yeah. you know it's it's basically showing to the people that you interact and the people that are in your community you're serious you know this is this is a serious business and you're you're conscious of protecting their rights and making sure that everything's clear and expectations are set out so it it works the other way too to really kind of show to your customers and your audience that you're serious about business so that's another real advantage of having those documents in place is that, you know, your relationships beyond, you know, that you're dealing with are all set in stone and they're clear and expectations are set. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a really valid point. And I think a lot of startups, you know, like I'm, I sort of dabble in lots of different areas and we're supporting many female founders and, you know, I've got another little side hustle that I'm playing with at the moment and my partner in that is very much minimum viable product, don't spend anything you know test it and all of that and that's really that startup mentality it's how do you build and test a minimum viable product but for me I kind of look at it and go well someone can see that and steal it you know and so yeah. I've always been you know set things up appropriately and I don't know which is the right way <laughs> you know it, it depends on the sort of startup funds that you've got to to invest into what you're doing but for me with you know particularly with Chief Medichix and even Alchemy 8 I was like, no, this is a thing and I'm doing everything right and I'm happy to spend the time and money on it because I have confidence in the business plan and confidence in, in the clients that I'm bringing on board and confidence in what we're doing. So I'm just going hell for leather and I'll set it all up properly from the start. But I know a lot of startups don't do that and they leave themselves wide open. So, you know, somewhere in there there's a balance. <laughs> I don't know what it is. There is. And look, there's also, I mean, we're also, we've got a, um, a collaborative um, arrangement with an incredible, Incredible um, contract template company called Cherry Picker. So shout out 
to April Thomas. She's one of our lawyer members and she's she's a startup founder now herself and she's created this incredible platform of really, really high quality legal templates. She's even themed them along different industry base. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a suite of documents specifically designed, say, for hairdressing salons, um, you know, for different types of businesses that you can go in. And the reason I love this is that not, as you've just articulated, not every startup founder can invest a lot in those initial yeah. days. So what we would prefer as Legally Yours, if you don't have the funds to actually start having that trusted relationship straight off the bat with your, you know, a Legally Yours lawyer member, come in, get some of those documents, which some of them, you know, are 49 bucks. You know, you can cherry pick individual documents. You're not tied into a 12-month subscription or anything like that. You can actually have those knowing that they've been, you know, designed to such a high quality by, you know, an amazing commercial lawyer. So that's all there. And then when you're ready, connect with a lawyer for the next step. When you're ready to say 12 months in, when you need that kind of more um, robust relationship, you've got it, you know, you're doing more sophisticated things and your business needs to be protected in a more sophisticated way. And the lovely thing for our lawyer members is that they know when their clients have been accessing these cherry picker documents, they don't have to spend copious amounts of time trying to fix all those documents forward. They're a great platform to start. And I think the more that, you know, lawyers are using technology, you know, we, we are dragging them along on this technology um, front, but the more that they're using this great technology, um, the better it is for clients and the better it is for them in terms of the value that they can be providing to their clients. So, you know, there are lots of different options um, and we also appreciate, you know, there are different stages, but Rather than do nothing, there are things that you can get. So, you know, absolutely, we we support that as well. Yeah. So speaking of technology, obviously, you know, topic of the <laughs> of the decade century is AI, right? Yeah. So and yeah. and how AI is disrupting or supporting businesses. How are you seeing AI play out in the legal space? Yeah, it's so, so super interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, as I've just sort of alluded to, technology in law has always been a bit of a... um it's had a it's had a tenuous relationship and I think where the stress actually becomes is that we know as business owners technology makes you more efficient um, and actually can streamline a lot of your processes but if your business model of a law firm is about time do you necessarily want to be more efficient do you want to streamline your processes because then you can't bill as much time so so I think what this is doing and particularly with you know now gen gen AI and what that's actually doing and how efficient it can do and and how it can make your processes so much more streamlined a lot of law firms now are really struggling with what that means Mm. for them because if it makes them more efficient well then what does that mean in terms of their pricing model obviously the benefit of our lawyer members is that because they don't bill on time and they don't time record and they don't do billable units, they see an investment in these types of technology and these platforms um, as real value, value to then making them more valuable to the interaction that they have with their clients. But I also think something that's not being talked about as much as it should in the legal industry with Gen AI is the fact that their clients are using it. And what I'm really encouraging lawyers to do at the moment is to say, you should be talking to your clients now and asking them the question, how are you using Gen AI in your business or in your lives? How are you seeing, what problems are you seeing or what benefits are you seeing to it? But then asking the question, what does that mean for what you will require from me as a legal service? And and really then being able to understand what the value of the lawyer will be when clients are using these models. Because I kind of liken it to the fact of, you know, GPs and Dr. Google, you know, there used to be a time that you would go and see a GP and you didn't have access to all that information that you can on Dr. Google. And so you just go and open your mouth and they'd say R and they would diagnose you. This is what you've got. (laughs) (laughs) Diagnose you. But what's actually now happened is, I mean, everyone goes to the doctor now and goes, I think I've got X, Y, Z. And then it's for the doctor to go, okay, well, let's, let's, you know, disseminate, let's look at that, let's look at you as a person. And they, you know, critically analyse kind of, you know, how you've presented those sorts of things. I think the same thing is going to happen in law. I think clients are going to come in, they're going to have a lot more um, tools at their dispense to be able to do a lot of the things like the contract template, the, you know, they'll have all the information there from ChatGPT, they'll understand it, and they'll be requesting something very different from the lawyer, which will be more about, is this right? 
diagnose it for me properly, um, you know, critically analyze it, tell me, you know, where the problems or, you know, the risks may be associated with this, give me the ability to sleep at night. Yeah. And what would, what would you pay for the ability to, to be able to sleep at night? It's probably a lot more than what you were paying for the client, you know, for the lawyer just to kind of plug in some data and spit out a document. So I think the legal profession needs to get very real on what their value mm. is to their clients. They should be having these conversations now um, and really understanding then what they can use and build in internally into their processes that's going to bump up that value and meet that expe- new expectation yeah. from clients that we'll see in the next, you know, 36 yeah. months. And so, I mean, the other danger, I suppose, for particularly for startups that are trying to bootstrap it is that they go into chat GPT and say, give me a legal document for X. And I think, you know, that's fraught with danger because as we know, you know, you have to vet and verify anything that is produced by AI because it can hallucinate. It can give you, you know, gender-biased responses and incorrect information. So if we're not checking and validating you know, we could be opening ourselves up for some serious trouble down the track. And, you know, are you seeing kind of the role of lawyers in, you know, doing more of that sort of checking and tweaking in the future or is is there a whole different approach? No, I think I, absolutely. And I think that there'll be a lot more value laid on to that. So it'll be much more about advocacy and interpretation and and the relationship. So it's it's the ability of the, the client coming in and going, look, this is what I've got. This is the information validate it like you say give me that advice give me that relationship so that I can you know know that where I've got it is the right way to proceed so a hundred percent I think that you know the 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 demand for legal services will completely change. And I think it's those lawyers who will be able to transform then the business model on top of that um, and really understand what the value is that they're providing to those clients, the better. I mean, we do know that it hallucinates. I mean, there was that um, very funny case of, well, it's not funny for the for the attorney in America, but where he basically relied upon a whole heap of precedents that he plugged into ChatGPT and asked for. And, you know, the way that I read the story was that, you know, he had actually kept saying to chat gpt are you telling me the truth are you telling me the truth and chat gpt is saying well yes i am i am because chat gpt wants to make us happy right it wants to be good <laughs> and then went into court you know didn't good do robot. the <laughs> good robot yeah, it's, it's like a toddler isn't it yeah yeah sure sure yep 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 i didn't do that um and then went and relied upon it and so that's that's the thing you know technology can only do so much and when humans are dealing with humans you still need to be able to have that human relationship and i think you know as a profession that's what it will become it will be very much that kind of high value human relationship and the ability to use the technology but to be able to interpret it and diagnose it and critically analyze it so that people can feel safe and know that you know they're they're not leaving themselves exposed to all of this liability and risk and the other thing I'll just say is the law isn't changing the law will change but it would take many years for the law to change, as we know. So the same laws are still in place. And that's what I think people have to realise as well. Copyright infringement is copyright infringement. There's, you know, the Copyright Act, there's all of those things still in place. And so you're going to need lawyers to be able to help you to interpret whatever you're doing with this generative AI or, you know, LLMs, wherever that's going, to be able to then interpret that into the existing laws because laws will take a long time to change. So that that gives me another really great question for you. So say I'm using Midjourney to or Dali to create a new logo for my startup. Who owns the IP? Yeah, it's it's such a tricky question. And look, we ran a session um, yesterday with the Startup Network on on these types of topics. Um, you know, it the law is yet to catch up on how much that is. I mean, you know, there's precedent, but not for the precedent of that specific situation. And this is where having really good lawyers who can actually talk you through and 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 sort of explain, well, perhaps maybe it's not 100% clear. There might be, you know, it might be an 80% that you do own it. Maybe 20% it could be disputed. What's your risk appetite, appetite on that? What are some of the things that we can do that we can perhaps rely upon or, that's why lawyers are going to be so important because yeah. they? they're going to be able to help and navigate you through these really, really tricky issues that the law never, you know, when the law was written, it didn't encompass these types yeah. of things. So, yeah, I can't give you a clear answer on it. And I think that it's having that lawyer that can actually talk you through precedent, it can talk you through the legislation, and then you as the, the um, business owner can say, 
all right, well, I feel pretty confident that I do own this IP and I'm, I've, you know, got my some, my legal terms and my advice and perhaps I've modified, you know, my um, trademark or whatever it is and you've got it in there. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really, really interesting time. Yeah, I mean, I, a case in point, I um, used MidJourney to create um, a version of an NFT. We haven't launched it yet, but basically used the Chief Medichick's wing and blended it with a golden angel wing in 3D to, and it came, you know, and then it, it produces four different versions and then you can kind of pick the one that you like and give it some more prompts to tweak it and keep iterating until you get to something that you're comfortable with. And I think it's really interesting because it started with our logo, which I own the IP for, and then it was my prompts which generated what the final outcome is and then we put animation over the top of it to make it 3D and spin. So, you know, I would suggest that without my prompts that has to be my IP yet it was still generated by generative AI image creator. Oh, 100%. And I wonder, you know, it'll be really fascinating to see whether you can trademark particular prompts. Like maybe that's part of, you know, where it will go, you know, those particular prompts. <laughs> Well, who knows? I mean, who knows? It's again, it's that classic case that technology is far, you know, is speeding far past the legislation and the law that we currently yeah. have. And this this is why, you know, this is why lawyers will become so valuable. I mean, I did go to an event the other week where, you know, the, the presenter put up a, a picture of a lawyer and said, you know, in 36 months, there'll be no such thing as a lawyer. And I looked at him and I thought, oh, you, you haven't really understood you know, the value of lawyers. And and part of that is the legal profession's yeah. fault because we haven't been very good at communicating our value. We've been very lazy because it's very lazy just to say, oh, well, it's my hourly rate. I'm worth $550 an hour. Well, what does that mean? And what value is that to your client? And what are you actually producing for that time? Having so, lots of conversations. Think, you know, a friend of mine recently engaged a lawyer and, you know, probably got five minutes of value out of the 40 and the the other 35 was her just talking randomly and and he was saying the whole time I just know she's just got me on the clock and I'm just going to get another bill for five grand <laughs> which is so sad right because what what's it done in that relationship that's not trust field no it's not and and again as I said you know what I experienced in in the limited time that I practiced was that clients stopped talking to me yeah because they were self-selecting the information that they wanted to feed me and it, and it inhibited my ability to be their trusted legal advisor so it's just got to stop it's just got to stop yeah well i think i think ai could be part of that stop more from karen in a minute recently i had the pleasure of chatting with chiquita searle of chiquita and co we spoke about doing things that bring you joy and fulfillment not being paralyzed by fear learning in the toughest moments of your business and detaching your identity from your success here's a little snippet from the episode it's when shit goes south that's when you learn that's when you have to hustle that's when you that's when your character is tested that's when you realize how much you want it i mean those and that's what will make getting to the top or getting to where you want to go so much sweeter because you you there's been some struggle and some adversity along the way if everything was just gifted to us on a silver platter we we wouldn't value it there'd be you know, it, we, there'd be no joy in that. There'd be no um, striving and, and, you know, where we learn is when we go, you know, overcome the challenges and we have to become resourceful. We dig deep, you know, the tears and, you know, it's all part of the process. You can listen to that brilliant chat with Chiquita Searle by going to chiefmedichicks.com slash podcasts or by subscribing to the show. Okay, let's get back to our amazing guest, Karen Finch of Legally Yours. I love your fixed fee model because it, you know, you're future ready. You're you're prepared for that. You know, you might not know what's coming down the pipe, but your model and how you're working with your community members is actually setting you up for the future. And you know, we know that law doesn't move quickly, and those that are stuck in that model are going to be finding themselves in a bit of trouble. I would suggest moving. Oh, a hundred percent. Because if you're if if you're more efficient, and clients know, because I was saying I was speaking to a bunch of lawyers the other week and I was saying the cat is out of the bag clients know that this technology exists and so there'll either be an assumption that you are using that technology internally or you have access to or if you don't they'll be thinking why so so what that's going to mean is something that perhaps maybe they were willing to pay a couple of hours 
hours for at your hourly rate, they'll be thinking, well, you can do that in five minutes because I know the technology and I can use it for five minutes and it takes me. So I'll pay you for five minutes of your hourly rate. So the whole model starts to break down. And even, you know, um, with junior lawyers that do a lot of this sort of repetitive, pragmatic, you know, drafting kind of work within firms traditionally, you know, the, the emphasis on them is going to be, well, if you can do it quicker and you can do it more efficiently, you're going to have to have double the amount of clients, which then, if you follow that process through on a traditional model, means that partners are going to have to bring in double the amount of it. None of it works. All I all I see on all of that is high pressure is that, you know, everyone's going to be overrun. Everyone, it's, it's not, it's, they're, they're missing the point that there's higher value work to be done. And the clients want you to be doing higher value work because that interaction is full of much more value. So they've just got to understand how to price that value and get it away from time. Do you know what, Nikki? I'm yet of the thousands and thousands of clients that I've spoken to over the last eight years, I've yet to have one say to me, gosh, I love my lawyer because they spend so much time with me. They never say that. They all sit there and no. say, I love my lawyer. Oh, my God. They love their lawyer because they got the job done. They made me feel secure. I love the way I got my documents and it was so efficient and, you know, now I know I'm covered. That's what they love lawyers for. It's never been about time. Give it up. Give it up. Yeah. And I and I say yeah. to clients, they are the real key in all of this because if they're, if they're saying to their lawyers, oh, no, no, I'm not going to pay your hourly rate. I want you to tell me up front what it's going to be. Give me a price. I want you to price it. And if the, if the lawyer is saying, no, you don't go to them, I say to the profession, yeah. if you're not getting up to speed and you're not giving clients what they want, you're just a very clever person sitting in a very lonely office by yourself. Like your business model falls apart. So you've got to meet this new client demand and, and they've got to deliver it because it's a supply and demand industry. So, yeah. It is indeed. So um, keen for you to share with us, obviously, you know, you're running your own business, you know, you, you had the career, you you pivoted and tested and you've jumped into your own. Were there any times where you thought, oh, God, what am I doing? I should go back to the secure <laughs> the secure job or was it just not full steam ahead? Never oh, of course, on a daily basis, still do. Still sit there thinking, oh, yeah. my God, the start the startup journey. And I think it's really hard to really explain it properly unless you've been on it. It's so hard. Yeah. You know, your highs are as high as anything that you can ever achieve and your lows are lower than you can ever experience and you can't really even describe. So, you know, that kind of that breadth of journey, absolutely. And, you know, you do second guess yourself sometimes. I mean, I do, you know, you think, why am I doing this? I mean, I even had a moment in those early days where I thought to myself, well, who am I to think that I can go out and fix this problem in the legal industry that I see that none of them think it's a problem you know they all think yeah. that their model's fantastic who am I to think it but I kept returning Nikki to what I knew was right I kept returning to what I was hearing from clients I kept returning to that experience I saw with my mum and dad and thinking there's got to be a better way you know there's there's got to be a better way I kept returning to that experience I had as a junior lawyer thinking if I could only have these really rich trusted field relationships that you know didn't fall apart when the first invoice got sent through so I knew I was onto something and I think it's that um, I refer to it as that little startup fire in your belly that you have when you just go yeah. I know this is right I know this is right. It's purpose and passion, right? You know, I've had this conversation 100%. with many other founders and it comes back to those things all the time. It's that purpose and passion. What do you truly feel is wrong that you're going to fix? I had a similar situation recently with this amazing woman. I'll, she'll remain nameless. Yeah. But she said to me, why you? You know, she said there's all these sort of startup founder networks out there and accelerator programs. She said, why you? And I said, well, why not me? Yeah. You know, I said, I'm, uh, you know, and I'd never, that question had never, ever crossed my mind because for me, my whole career, I've always taken women and guys as well, but I've taken people under my wing. Yeah. Wherever I saw um, that kind of commitment and that fire in their belly and that desire to progress, I loved that. And I would take them under my wing and, and pull them through regardless of how senior or junior they were. And I've always loved mentoring people. So for me, like even being asked that question was so jarring. It's like, well, why not me? Because I feel like I've got knowledge and skills and I can help. And it's actually what drives me. It's, it's my purpose. Yeah. But yes, there's a lot of services out there and organizations but I don't feel like they do what we do to that level of intimacy in helping supporting female founders and and that education around web3 and ai so they're future ready yeah. 
Um, I just and and just that access to networks from other amazing female leaders that can inspire and guide and mentor and support them on their journey and and share their business with our community so that we all help each other grow. I don't think anyone else is doing that. So that yeah. question never crossed my mind um, and it comes back again to purpose and passion, right? Yeah. What drives you? What gets you out of bed every morning? What keeps you excited? Yeah. And I think it also ties into vision, doesn't it? You know, because I had a similar experience where someone was saying to me, and I hadn't really kind of sat and paused and thought about it, because I think when you're in this and you're, you know, you're living your passion and your purpose and you're pushing forward, pushing forward, you, you don't often have a lot of times where you really reflect. And I had someone actually say to me, you know, that, you know, the way you see things is not how everyone else sees things. Like there's only excuse me, a certain amount of people that actually can see, have have that vision and that foresight to actually understand where things are going. Now, the vision that we had when we started Legally Yours was way too early, way, way, way too early. Like the profession, clients were ready, the profession wasn't. But as we've seen, as we've gone along this journey, you know, COVID was a massive disruptor because all of a sudden lawyers were like, oh, I can't see my client face-to-face and I can't get to my filing cabinet where I've got all my paper files. Oh, I probably need to really look at some technology. So, you know, all of a sudden in COVID, that was a massive disruptor for the legal profession. And then they started saying, right, we really need to get and understand technology and innovation. What we know is that when lawyers start looking at technology and they start, they begin to go, oh, this is making me a bit more efficient. I can't charge as much time oh, maybe I need to start looking at my business model. Maybe I need to transform. What are my clients looking at? Oh, that's right. I'm delivering something to clients. I probably should ask them and start designing my service to fulfill that client need. So it's just incredible that, you know, that's happened. And now with Gen AI, it's really what we're going to see is this whole kind of profession have to get with it and change that and transform their business models because if they don't, they're going to get lost in the process. And I think, you know, having that vision and knowing, you know, it, really the vision hasn't changed. It's all about clients getting access to fixed fee transparent lawyers so they can, you know, close that justice loop and it's just keep going, keep going, keep going. So it might change in terms of the types of platforms, yeah. It's interesting because the legal profession is probably one of the last industries to really face disruption when you think about it. You know, so many, you look at, you know, retail and e-com and, and that's been disrupted. You look at um, traditional media with then digital media and social media, you know, so many organisations have been really or industries have been really disrupted but probably not so much the legal no. professions. Are now. and I think even, Nikki, with accounting, you look at accounting, accounting got disrupted very much when these, you know, platforms that came up that made accounting software, so, all you know, Xero and QuickBooks and Myob and all these sorts of things, so it gave it to the business owner to be able to, you know, take a lot of that on board themselves and therefore oh, then God, you go yeah. to accounts for a certain different thing. So that was disrupted, you know, years ago. And it's really interesting because now what I'm beginning to see is that the same thing will happen with legal in the sense that their clients will get access to these platforms that are going to enable them to do a lot of things that they relied on lawyers to traditionally do. And so again, like with accounting, it's going to become, well, why am I going to the lawyer? If I, So, you know, what is that interaction that is the value that I'm going to them for? And just like, you know, you still have an accountant, accountants, you know, still exist and there's still very much required in your day-to-day yeah. business but the the interaction the relationship change what you were demanding of them change and it will be the same same with legal and so you were 100% right we were the last professional service to be disrupted the disruption is happening now um, and I think it's a really yeah. good thing I think it's a really good thing for clients and I think it's a really good thing for the profession I think it was way overdue yeah Agree. And so um, I know, uh, you know, obviously going from the corporate career and um, into running your own business, you, you know, and we see it with founders all the time, you go in knowing what you know, but you often don't know what you don't know. Yeah. How have you, what have you discovered that you didn't know and how have you plugged those gaps along your journey? Oh, so much I didn't know, so much I didn't know. And you do, I think I think as a startup founder, you, there has to be some level of a little bit of naivety. But I think, I think if you knew everything, you probably would just go, oh, my God, no. And I think I would have probably had the double whammy in the sense that I was legally trained. Now, we are trained, I was trained for five years not to take risks you know, how to basically minimise your risk (laughs) wherever possible, do not go forward, do not, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything's open to risk. You're not quite sure what's going on. You don't know whether that's going to work. Failure, 
I mean, God, when you're, when you're starting your own business, failure is such a big thing. And I was, you know, brought up in a profession that does not tolerate failure. Um, experimentation, you know, I say these words to lawyers and there you can see the fear, like, what do you mean experiment? No, you don't experiment or, you know, there's no room for failure. So I kind of had to really get over myself in relation to that, into the mindset of, you know, and really kind of delve in that this is what we were going for. But I think also looking back, what I really did as well was that I, I really quite clearly knew what I knew and I actually knew what I perhaps didn't know and I needed to get expertise on and I went out and got it. And I've always had the philosophy and and that's probably because of the business I've built, which is built on collaboration and community and connection, was that, you know, the, the, the stronger the community, the stronger the relationships, the stronger your network, the stronger your partnerships, the more collaboration you have the better for your business, the better for, you know, everyone involved. So I went and sought out those those things that I didn't know and got those people involved and it didn't always work. I mean, you know, I've had some nightmare experiences with different things that have happened over the journey where, you know, um, I thought, you know, this was a great partnership or this was a great collaboration and it didn't work. And there's skill in that too of how you disentangle from those moments um, but, you know, still continue on because you know what you're doing is the right thing to do. So, you know, I think for me it's always been about I, I'd like to say I don't have an ego like I, as in, you know, if someone's got something like that, they see that I could do better or I could learn from or I could, I'm, I'm open. I'm always open and willing to take that on. Um, and I think at the heart of it, I love, you know, I love Legally Yours so much that whatever we can do to make it grow and thrive and strengthen and flourish for the community and for the clients that use our service, I'll take it on board. Yeah, love it. Um, and so, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but if you knew what you knew now, would you do it all again? I mean, do you know what? I would. I absolutely would. Um, would I do it all the same? No. Yeah, slightly differently. <laughs> no, I would. I'd probably do slightly different things. But then, you know, then the argument would run, would would it be what it is today? And so I think, yeah. you know, I've really, I've really come, I've changed my mindset on a lot of kind of those those, um, what I would have perceived as failures, um, I've really changed my mind. They're yeah, they're absolute yeah. learnings. They're absolute And learnings. in this space, like in that founder space, like you can't, you don't write a business plan or a blueprint and it's locked in stone, you don't flex from it. Yeah. Like part of that journey and growth is the agility yeah. and, and learning from your st- mistakes and learning fast and and pivoting and going again. And, and, and I think, you know, the real characteristic that is so required in this space is resilience yeah. man you've just got to dust yourself off get back up go again hundred percent I've had some moments and it's funny because as you're talking about that I'm I'm thinking back to those moments where it was just like right okay how, how am I going to do this and as I said that fight I think when you real when you when you've got your vision you know your purpose you know you know what your, your values are it's almost like I, I always I kind of almost kind of um, feel like it's a, almost like a vocation or a calling it's like I've got yeah. to keep going so you know even though you know there might have been periods where for a day I was like oh god I don't know if I can continue on you wake up the next day and you're like no nah, I've got this no nah, I've got to keep pushing yeah. through you know this is just a, a little kind of hurdle that we're going to jump over yep. and we're going to keep pushing through. And I think it's that, you know, again, and relying on those lovely strengths and partnerships and the people that you have around you that are like, it's okay, we've got you, it's fine, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> keep yeah, going. that's right. And I think, you know, that's one of the things for me in creating the community around Chief Metachicks is, is having those experts across all the different areas because no one is going to be an expert in everything. Yeah. So how do you tap into expertise and resources through community? And, you know, that's about what we do. But then how do we learn from each other too? Mm. You know, like you and I connect on calls and go, hey, how did you do this? And, you know, what have you tested and what have you learnt? And, and I do that with all of my leaders as yeah. well and you know our community members particularly those on our pitch and grow coaching program they're not limited to just their time with each of the coaches the half an hour every month with each coach you know they I'm getting business plans and proposals and can you just cast your eye over this any tips and why wouldn't I yeah. you know of course you know and and I actually really enjoy that because you feel like you're a part of supporting these women and you see their their business is taking off and it's it's really really rewarding yeah, it's beautiful yeah. it's community hey um <laughs> it is that's that's right um so I have two more questions for you one is what advice do you have for aspiring female entrepreneurs who are just starting their journey so I'd say um 
relationships are everything. Relationships are everything. I, I really, and I'm such a big believer in finding your tribe, particularly in those early days. It can be very isolating. I think sometimes as a as a founder, not just a female founder, when you 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 might be dealing and juggling with a whole other variety of things other than your business as well. I mean, I started up. I was involved with Legally Yours, and I had four, I had the four kids. I think my eldest was maybe five. Then I would have had a three and you know two one year old twins, like ridiculous, right? So you know you do it. You're doing <laughs> stupid things at stupid times. You know you're not you're not doing things conventionally. Um, you don't you work different hours and and having other people around you that you can go, oh my god, okay, so this is okay, this is normal. How are you feeling? Even being able to say, oh my god, you know I'm I'm failing at being a mum. I'm failing at being a wife. I don't feel like I'm giving my business everything and someone else sitting there and saying to you that's okay that that's fine we all feel the same you know they're really having that support tribe I think is is so important and the quicker you get to that great community like Chief Medichicks um you know the more that you're surrounded with that love and support I think the more that you'll be able to then get through initially that first 12 months um because you know having that community around you and that network and support can help you validate your idea. They can help you connect to the right people that you should be and the right services that you need in those early days. And also just be there for you to kind of go, oh, it's really hard. Is this normal? Yeah, it's normal. Yeah. You know, so but not only that, it's not just normal for founders. I mean, you know, my whole, I've dabbled in and out of my own businesses throughout my career, throughout the last 27 years. Yeah. But um, you know, you have those same things as CEO of Zenith. Like I felt like a shit mum, yeah. you know, like there was times where, you know, I, you know, I was Melbourne based, head office was Sydney. And I remember just completely breaking down thinking I'm, I'm just not being a good mother here. I'm away from my young kids too much. Yeah. You know, you have those feelings regardless, I think, as, as yeah. a mother. So yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's 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 so hard. That yeah, that sort of maternal guilt, regardless of whether you're in your own business or whether you're, um, you know, in in a career. Yeah, you know, it's always there, and I think women have got to sort of understand that, acknowledge it, but try not to take it on too much because 100%. we beat ourselves up, yeah. and often our husbands or partners don't. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it, you know, I think it's also an acceptance that it probably won't go away. I mean, it, it probably yeah. never will, but I think it's that normal of it's okay everyone's experiencing it um, and yeah. so you might not necessarily be able to solve it and dissolve it but you can at least you know at some point accept it and know that you know Correct. it's probably it well it's it's not reality you know what you're demonstrating no. to your kids is you know look at the drive look at look at mum she's out there she's doing things she's I can see you know and role modeling what you know success can look like beyond you know vacuuming which was you know I'll I'll just share this story I'll just share this story oh my god so when because when the kids were little I I didn't work you know I had I had four in three and a half years though it was quite nuts call it extreme parenting but I still remember once seeing my little twins and they were playing together I think with maybe dolls or something and they were saying oh um I'm the daddy doll and I go out to work and I earn money and then the other one had a doll and she's like I'm the mummy and I vacuum Vacuum, vacuum. <laughs> and I, to I mean, it was just, and it was the reality of the situation that we had. I was doing a lot of vacuuming. And I thought to myself, wow, okay, like I've got, you know, of my four kids, three girls, I've, I've, I've need to do, like, this is, this is incredible, right? They're role modeling what they're seeing. And you know what, mum, yep, she might vacuum. <laughs> Dad needs to probably do a bit more, but mums can work. Mums can do so. Yeah, I think um, it you don't it doesn't dissolve, but yeah, we, we're doing a no. lot for for them. That would be that would be the trigger for me to run back to work, <laughs> smash the vacuum. If, if yeah. that's what you think you need to do as a mother, run, run. get the hell out, stop yeah. now, hire a nanny. 100%. Um, yeah, hilarious. <laughs> so um, my final question for you is: um, What made you want to be a chief medicics leader, and um, are you? What are you enjoying most about? Oh, it? Well, first and foremost, it was you, Nikki. Um, it was absolutely <laughs> meeting you. I mean, your passion and your purpose. Um, I mean, 
how can you not be infected by it? And, you know, how can you not want to come on this journey with you? So absolutely it was you. But I think also what you're building, it's so incredibly important. So another role that I sort of have outside of Legally Yours is um, I'm involved in the Australian legal technology community. So I'm the president at the moment of ALTA, we call ourselves the Australian Legal Technology Association. Um, But last year I was lucky enough to be um, the committee chair for the Women of Australian Legal Technology Association called Walter. So I've been playing a lot in this space of women founders within legal tech and really, you know, what what I got to do with Walter, you know, really showed to me that when you get women in a room together, women supporting other women, the things that you can do as a community are mind-blowing. I mean, we produced in our first year of Walter um, a 100-page downloadable resource written by the current generation of women in legal tech for the future generation of legal tech. This, this resource, we call it the Walter e-playbook, um, you know, goes everything from should I be a founder? Because what we find in legal technology is a lot of founders are former lawyers or lawyers that have seen problems. So really talking through that mindset that you might need, the challenges that you might need to overcome to be a founder within legal tech. But then also it goes right through to should I, you know, when and how do I take my product global? This resource is amazing. And now we've got even more initiatives coming through. I just know that when you're when you're part of something, you can help other women achieve worlds change communities change and so of course i'm getting to live my passion helping even more women in tech beyond legal tech with chief medicic so it was a no-brainer for me i said yes and i'm loving it loving loving it yeah it was interesting because i noticed you on linkedin and i was watching you for a little bit and i'm thinking "Mm, i need to meet this woman I, i like her style i like what she's doing i like her passion and drive and and legal is a critical part of the founder journey and it's often an area that you know a lot of our members have just not got expertise in so i was really looking for the right sort of legal support and came across you and you know we met and it was amazing and here we are and and bianca's joined your co-founder as well so yeah, it's great to have you on board. Um, love all of the impact that you're having with our members and love having you as part of the team. And thank you so much for joining me on the Chief Medichicks podcast today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Loved, loved any opportunity to chat with you, Mickey. Thank you so much. Well, there we have it, our sixth Chief Medichicks podcast episode. Key takeouts include that there are efficient legal options available for startups that it's important to cover yourself legally from an IP and risk mitigation perspective. And if you're using AI in order to save legal costs, please make sure you get it checked and tweaked by a legal professional to ensure that you are covered. We'd also love you to rate the episode and podcast on iTunes or your favourite platform. It really does help with rankings and getting our messages and learnings out to as many people as possible. If you'd like to get your wings on too, then you can join at chiefmetachicks.com. And if you're interested in applying for our Pitch and Grow coaching program with our Chief Metachicks leaders, then please reach out at info at chiefmetachicks.com.